The scripture this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And if you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for you, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. The word of the Lord. So, you know, I had the um, privilege of knowing Brad Arbogast, Tiffany's dad, for many years because he would come for the Christmas and whatever, and he was a stoic sort. He wasn't the kind to really show emotion or be um, very verbose about things. He, he didn't like to waste words. Um, it was when he invited me and said I could come, he would like to see me a few weeks before he died. It was... Uh, amazing to walk into uh, their their home, and um, you know as I sat with him with Tiffany and uh, Tiffany's mom was there, and I was just asking him the question. So you know why am I here? What's it was a rainy day. It was sort of a miserable kind of like today. It was just sort of pouring rain. It was just kind of a uh, one of these um, days you don't really want to be out. And I think he was just sort of like, I'm so grateful you came. And I said, So why am I here? And, you know, when he looked at me, and just with a lot of strength, he was weak at that point, and he says, I want to accept Jesus Christ into my life. I need a Savior. And the thing that Tiffany reminded me, I was thinking about that, is the clarity with which he knew his need. The start of the gospel begins when we know our need. If you don't think you need anything, really, you're fine. Jesus isn't an addition to our life. That's sometimes the way it's presented is he enhances our life. The Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins in Ephesians 2. 
And it's, he's not an enhancement. He didn't come to make like people who are a little bit sick better. He make, came to make dead people alive. And the Bible says that without him, we're completely dead. Yes, we have life in this bios life, but we don't have the life that was intended for us. And so it was amazing because to watch someone, so it's almost a cliche now, though it's a scriptural phrase to be born again from John 3, but to watch someone who's dead come alive, not in the literal physical sense, but to watch someone, the light come on in their eyes. And the peace that passed understanding in the last weeks of his life isn't a surprise. It's what says the Bible says will happen to those who know God. And you don't, you may not think that right now because we are human and we have things that we deal with still. But the, the point is, is that when we have new life, that's what flows out. So just as Tiffany was sharing, it was what, a, what a privilege to be able to, um, the heart of receptivity to the gospel is much more important than the words you and I could ever say. If you're a Christian and you think, well, I could never lead someone to Christ. Well, we probably should figure out why you don't feel that way because it's, believe me, this was a bad analogy, but it's like shooting fish in a barrel when someone comes in and says, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You, you aren't going to fail at that. You just, you just allow Jesus to do his work in them. And what a beautiful thing to watch new life form. So this morning I'm going to suggest a gift you probably should never buy your wife. <laughs> This, uh, we have a lot of these in our house, but, um, most of you know what this is. But, um, as I, as I see the reflection passing over you, I, I, I want you to think as I pass this over, what is your reaction as I, here's what, this is Jill saying, please don't stop, alright? So, what? to myself. I'm fine. As I listen to myself. Thank you. All right. That was dramatic. You'll, you'll remember you were here this morning. The day I was forced on my knees. Praise the Lord. So what do you think of when you see a mirror? A lot of people like it's a little appalling, really. It's a little like I, I I don't like to look at myself in the mirror. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is we look differently in a mirror than we think we do. We you know we have a sense as to what we look like, but you see a picture of yourself, you think, do I really look like that? Like I convinced myself I had hair till I was like forty, <laughs> but I look at pictures of myself in my twenties and it wasn't there. I visualized something that wasn't there. And when I look at myself, when I hear myself speak, it took me a long time. Who's, who's giving that sermon? Yeah, those are the words I wrote, but that's not me. You know, my words go out on iTunes every week or whatever, so I, I listen to myself quite frequently. Now, after many years, I have sort of a sense of what I sound like. Do you know what that's like? You know that? You, you hear your own voice, see your own image, and you think, Nowhere is this more true than when we look at our sin. 
Y'all, our sin, the way we view our own sin, is normal. Just the way the house you grew up in, whatever your parents' customs were, that becomes your normal. As functional or as dysfunctional as it might be, however you celebrate Christmas morning, that's normal for you. And our sin is, when we look at it, it's, it's not often, it's not often the same way God looks at it. And what we see this morning is Ezekiel is given the very unenviable task of being a mirror to a people who God says, if you heard when Bud spoke over and over again, this is a rebellious house, right? Over and over again. I'm going to, the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm going to conjecture that Israel, really Judah, the southern kingdom, probably didn't think they were that rebellious. They probably just thought they were doing what needed to be done. They were being politically expedient. A lot of words we could use it. My guess is they would not have characterized, many of them at least, would not have characterized themselves as rebellious covenant breakers. I mean, it's pretty harsh. Ezekiel has uh, about 20 chapters coming. We're not going to go through each one, but of harsh language to speak. And my guess is that as Ezekiel is a mirror to them, and he and he says, the uh, reason I say an unenviable task is that he says, they're not going to listen to you. It would be okay if they were, uh, you were having to speak a foreign language, translate it, then they'd probably listen. But this people think they're okay. So they're not going to listen. If you have your Bible, let's open to Ezekiel chapter 2. We started our study in Ezekiel last week. We looked at how this young priest was part of a procession of exiles that went out of Jerusalem in waves. And he was in one of the waves with the king Jehoiachin who was taken out, and they were taken to the conquering nation of Babylon. He lived just south of there on this kind of river or canal called the Kibar River, probably like a refugee camp. And they took the people who uh, were uh, intelligent and who had leadership so that they couldn't, uh, in their own place, form some kind of rebellion against Babylon. So they were trying to uh, have them close by and keep a watch on them. And Ezekiel was given this vision last week of the presence of God no longer resting in Jerusalem in the temple, but there in Babylon, the presence of the Lord was given to him in a vision. And so we looked at how God is so committed to his people that because of his covenant love to them, he doesn't abandon them. He does warn them and he does discipline them, but he doesn't abandon them in Babylon. We talked about last week and it's on... uh, the website, you can, if you want to go along with us through these next few weeks in Ezekiel, you can uh, l- listen to that from last week. So if you've got your Bibles in uh, Ezekiel 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 4, says, The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say, Thus says the Lord. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they're a rebellious house, they'll know a prophet's been among them. But don't be afraid of them, nor afraid of their words. It's really hard to speak to people that you know are going to reject the message that you give. That's really a hard thing to do. 
and it takes a lot of courage and it takes uh, some stubborn persistence. And in uh, in verse uh, verse six, he says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of their words, because probably their words were going to be words of rejection. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, don't be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks. What looks? You ever listen to you know you whether you're talking about." anything and you you know that look when someone's not listening they usually have their arms folded and they have the scowl on and sometimes we just wither under that and the lord is saying to ezekiel uh you're going to be rejected in this and so what does ezekiel need what does the lord give him in verse 8 of chapter 2 he says but you son of man hear what i say to you don't be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. It's a dangerous thing. You have to trust someone a lot to say, just close your eyes, open your mouth, and I'm just going to put something in. You have to really trust them, right? And the Lord was asking Ezekiel to trust him because he was going to put something in his mouth that at least his appearance would be for me like a Brussels sprout, which I won't eat. And that's probably what my children might have, at least when they were young and impetuous. They probably would have put that in my mouth to see how I would have responded. And I think the word that Ezekiel was given was not one he would have wanted to necessarily have. Let's go back just a second. The word son of man is a word that appears about a 100 times in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a title Jesus used for himself. Ninety of the hundred, roughly, are in Ezekiel. He's all throughout this, he's never referred to as Ezekiel. He's referred to as son of man. Literally, it's Ben Adam in Hebrew, Ben Adam. Adam is man. It's the first man, obviously. It means ground uh, because Adam was made out of the ground. And so you have throughout this Ben Adam, Ben Adam, this thing. And so thinking about Adam, I want to look at, as he's given something to eat, and he says, uh, in verse 9, When I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. So think about Adam. Adam is has a test of eating as well, doesn't he? He's given something to eat, and it looks really uh, great. It's really shiny. It says... The, the language that Genesis uses is food that was good, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for wisdom. But it wasn't that good, was it? It was what it was forbidden to eat. And it changed Adam's life and ours. And Ezekiel, Ben-Adam, is also given an opportunity to, to eat something. But rather than being pleasant to the eye, and look, what's, what is it? It says in verse 10, it was spread before me, this thing I'm told to eat, this scroll, and the writing is on the front and the back. It was full, and on it were words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. It was, however, truth that these covenant breakers, this rebellious house, was not going to be done any favors by being told, as some of the prophets had done, everything's fine. This exile... We learn in the book of Jeremiah, they were told it's going to be really short. A couple of months, maybe. 
year or two, it'll be over. Because why? God is faithful. God loves you. You're his people. You're just fine. Just hang on. And both Jeremiah and Ezekiel were told to give a message of everything's not fine. You're ignoring God. You're disobeying God. You're breaking the covenant. Back up at the top of Ezekiel chapter 2, I also want to look at Ben-Adam and Adam and what what is com- comparing this here. Because as the Lord speaks to Ezekiel, it says in chapter 2, verse 2, The Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. In Genesis 2, 7, we have this first man, not Ben-Adam, but Adam, and it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Both Adam and the son of Adam, Ben-Adam, and the way Ezekiel is referred to, couldn't do anything without the breath of life coming in. Going back to Brad Arbogast, to Tiffany's dad, and to us, is it is the breath of life of God not our actions, not our moral high road, not anything else than God's breath coming into us that animates us, that makes us alive. And Ezekiel couldn't even stand up to begin his ministry, it says, until the Spirit of God entered him. Look at that again, Ezekiel 2. It says, Son of man, stand on your feet in verse 1 of chapter 2, and I'll speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me, and set me on my feet. doesn't even say Ezekiel stood on his feet. You said, stand on your feet. Oh, I'll just stand up. No, the scripture is really clear. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. Please, let's not think that we begin or end our faith walk in our own strength, even getting up on our feet. I tell you, as I get older, it seems like it's harder for me to get on my feet in my own strength as it is. But anything we do, the word we speak, what we do, it becomes a wearying, exhausting effort. Life can be so darn exhausting. I don't care if you're 8 listening to this or 10 or 20 or 59 or 82. Life can wear you out. And The Spirit of God has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And when we find that reason and purpose for living, and we find his strength in us, something happens. He sets us on our feet. And then when he gives us a task like Ezekiel's task, not one I would want to sign up for, eat the scroll of lamentation, mourning, and woe, But it was God's word to them. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes had to bring people truth, both just as a Christian, not even as a pastor, but sometimes you do too. Parents, children of parents, anybody in authority, you've got to bring words of truth sometimes, and and it's hard. And sometimes the mirror we have to hold up. And you know what I've found is that sometimes it's best if I'm in the mirror too. I won't do it again because I nearly killed myself the last time. <laughs> but I would just theoretically picture me doing this again. And 
You know, if I stand in the mirror and I ask Jill or someone else who loves mirrors to come up with me, and we both stood in the mirror together, and I was able to say, look, here we are. And and here's what's really going on with us. But unlike Ezekiel, see, we have news that it's not simply a keeping of a covenant that's going to make us right with God, that the one who is the true son of man, perfectly God and perfectly man, because Jesus Christ came, because he died on a cross, because our sin, we now have a way to deal with that through the power of Jesus Christ, that all of a sudden the mirror is changed, that when we look at our sin, forgiveness is immediately available. And the interesting thing is, as Adam ate the fruit, and I don't know how it tasted. It doesn't say in the scripture how it tasted. But it was mighty bitter, I can tell you, as soon as his eyes were opened. And I can only imagine the bitterness that Adam had from realizing his nakedness and realizing his separation that he'd never experienced from God. What happened when Ezekiel was willing to eat that which didn't look so good to him? I opened my mouth in verse 2 of chapter 3, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it, with God's word and God's truth, for Ezekiel as well, but also for others. And he ate it, and in his in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how lamentation and mourning and woe become sweet to us. It's a miracle of God. But here's what I know is that we, I need to hear. I need to preach and speak truth to myself, not what tickles my ears and what I like to hear. And we do it with grace, and we do it not because we're somehow better than, but we do no one any favors by telling them what's not true scripturally. I need Jesus Christ. I can't stand or breathe without him. I can't live without him. And so do you. You need him. And you need him completely and utterly. And the sin that so easily entangles us can kill you. And it can kill you forever. And I know it tastes good like an apple. And it doesn't taste bad like a gnarly scroll. But the truth of the matter is, is that that which sometimes tastes good is lousy for us it's true in real food and it's true in this as well and so examining the only way is to examine the scripture examine ourselves and to speak the truth in love ezekiel is given the task and he's called at the end of chapter three a watchman And if you read, I won't go through because I'm going to close here, but if you will read from verse 4 on down to the end, he's given the the ministry, as it were, of a watchman. And you know what watchman does? It's pretty low tech. They stand up on a wall and they watch. And when they see the enemy coming, they say, the enemy's coming. And they give advance warning. It's not that hard. And this was Ezekiel's specific ministry to Israel, and we're not ministering to Israel and to a covenant people anymore, but we are ministering among people who often don't know. And you and I 
need not be afraid. We need to have, it says, it's really interesting language. It says, I'm going to give you a head as hard as theirs is. That's what I, I love the scripture. It's so like real about this, isn't it? Um, it says, I'm going to make your, uh, in ver- uh, chapter three, verse, um, six, uh, but not to many peoples of foreign speech and hard language whose words you can't understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they'd listen to me, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you for they're not willing to listen to me because the house of Israel has a hard head. It says forehead, but it's just, they're hard headed. That's where we get the phrase. They have a hard forehead. Hard forehead hmm. and a stubborn heart. So do I. I got a hard head and a stubborn heart. I do. Thank the Lord he has redeemed it and he's softening my head. And I got a pretty soft head and I hope a softer heart that when God's word comes to me, I wouldn't reject it. I wouldn't rebel. So he says, behold, in verse eight, I've made your face as hard as their face and your head as hard as their head. When we speak truth to people in love, be courageous. Be bold. It is life for those who are perishing. Again, we can stand in the mirror with them and say, it's not that I'm any better. I need it too. But here is life. Here's the fountain. Here's the water. Here's the breath you need. This was Ezekiel's ministry. Unlike him, he was told people are not going to respond. They're going to reject you, but I need you to do it anyway. Praise the Lord. We don't have that. People will respond. There are people who will respond. Not everybody. But you change lives. You want to be a life changer? Be a word preacher. Be someone who speaks God's word boldly and with love. Brad Arbogast is in heaven because Tiffany and others were willing to boldly say God loves you no matter what. I shudder to think what would have happened if they would have said, well, I don't want to offend. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make him feel uncomfortable. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that, Lord, it's sometimes hard. And we don't always know perfectly how to see, speak or say. And, Lord, sometimes the way we go about it, we're learning how to speak your word in a way that people can hear. But speak your word we must, because what else do we have but the word of life? The living word of Jesus, the written word of the scripture, these are life to us. This is breath to us. Lord, would you breathe into us life? Would you raise us to our feet like you did with Adam, like you did with Ezekiel? Lord, in in your resurrected state, you breathed on your disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive this breath of life. And so just breathe on us, Lord, and say, just the breath of life, the Holy Spirit, would you come on us, Lord? Lord, help us to speak your word winsomely but truthfully, boldly, with courage. And help us to receive it in that same way as people who in our own state have hard hearts and hard heads. Lord, soften us. Lord, that we would walk by faith and not by sight.
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?